Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We'd like to invite you to stay with us for our Bible classes or immediately follow this service. We have classes for all ages of children and several adult classes. We also have a class especially for guests, and we go over the, the teachings that would connect us for life, and so we call that class the Get Connected class, and we would love for you to stay and be a part of any of the classes uh, that you would like to be a part of. It is wonderful to be a part of a community that is uh, as, as uh, blessed as we are in this area and that has a church family that is striving to show the love of God. Before we get started this morning, I want to uh, mention to you an announcement that was just handed to me. Uh, Ann Robertson has been taken to the hospital. Uh, she had passed out earlier and they are going to keep her for tests. So let's remember our sister Ann Robertson this morning and be checking on her this week and see what we can do uh, to help and to encourage her in any way. Simple kindness has been the theme of the month, and we hope that that is a description of our life individually and especially the life of us as a congregation. As you know, there uh, have been given 10 cards to everybody. And by the way, if you need those simple acts of kindness cards, there are more of those at the information center that is in the foyer. Be sure you take at least 10 of those and strive to use those this month as you do something good. Instead of receiving the glory yourself, be sure and give someone a card so that they can see that you're simply reflecting the kind God that you serve and you want to do kindness for others. Just this morning, I received this email from someone in our community here in Mount Juliet. She writes, I would just like to make a comment on one of your members. I'm not a member of this church, but I've seen the character of your congregation and the kindness and compassion that is instilled in them. Isn't that awesome? That's a reflection of Christ when people see kindness instilled in people. Earlier today, my mother and I were out running a few errands and decided to drive through Wendy's to share a salad. When we arrived at the window to pay for our order, the man said that it had already been paid for and handed us the change and a little card from your church saying, we hope this small act of kindness shows you God's love in a practical way. My family and I are dealing with many trials right now, including my father having cancer and starting chemo treatments this week. And even though it was a small gesture, it meant the more to us than what that person will ever know. We laughed and cried at the same time. It even surprised the Wendy's employee. We also decided to continue on the random act and paid for the person behind us. I just want to say thank you for being good examples. And may God bless you and your congregation. Friends, kindness... Hardly ever is the norm. Hardly ever is it natural. But it is spiritual. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a part of the character of our God. It's a part of the character of God's people. To see what is and believe that something better can come in its place. This morning, as we think about the powerful story of Nehemiah, I'd like to remind you of just a few things as we think about a man who wasn't content with the way things were, but he believed that he could bring a better life to the people around him. 
As we think about Nehemiah, I'd like for you to think about the setting and about the book and about the story. As we think about the setting of Nehemiah, think about it from the aspect of it's the last occasions that take place in the Old Testament. You know, the last half of the Old Testament is made up of the books of prophet. And so Malachi was a prophet that was a contemporary also right along with Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, when we think about the book itself, we think about First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah being one storyline of history. And in between Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, we see also uh, in our Bible, although they're separated in some of the original manuscripts or the older manuscripts that we have, they were joined together as one book. The Latin Bible, the Latin translation, even calls Ezra, 1st Ezra, and Nehemiah, 2nd Ezra. And so in other words, it's important for us to see this storyline. Well, what was the storyline? The setting for this particular writing, if you remember back in the Old Testament where there was the children of Israel and then there were the divided kingdoms and then finally the northern kingdom fell because they would not return back to God and the southern kingdom was warned over and over that if they did not return back to God that they too would fall and Babylon came over and they destroyed Jerusalem and they tore down and burned the temple and they tore down the wall which will pertain to today's story and they burned the city gates and there... After killing many of the people, they took a small remnant that was prophesied by God and they went back to Babylon. Now, as you read through the book of Daniel, you know that through those 70 years of Babylon captivity, that actually the Babylon empire was also taken over. Because when we go about halfway through the book of Daniel, we see that now the Persian empire is now in force. What was interesting was that there were there was a type of compassion among the Persians to let people go back to their homelands, allow them to rebuild, to build back their customs and traditions again. And so Zerubbabel was allowed first to go back, and he took with him over 40,000 people to help build back Jerusalem. And then six decades later, Ezra is allowed to go back, and he takes back with him over 1,700 men. And his goal is to build back the spiritual condition of the people. Now notice, along this time, there have been 60 years separating the first return and the second return. And that's in between those is where we have the story of Esther. Remember the the orphan girl that became queen, member of Persia? That very well could be why they were allowed the second and the third return was because they were sympathetic because of the queen being a Jew. And so now Nehemiah the story that we've had so capably read for us, the text this morning, the beginning of this story, is where Nehemiah hears of the fact that even though a hundred years has transpired, they're still not finished with building back the temple and the Jerusalem city and especially the walls and the gates. And it broke his heart. Because you see, it's important for us to note something as not only we begin this lesson, but throughout this lesson, was that any time people in their day and time did not have a strong wall around their city, it wasn't fortified. It wasn't safe. In other words, enemies were still, either they were in control or at their command, they could be in control. As a matter of fact, that's what we see in the book of Ezra, even building back the temple. 
There were times where they would build back the temple and because there was no wall around them, the enemies would just speak up and say, hey, we want you to stop for a while. And they'd stop for a while. The enemies, in a sense, were still in control. Now, why does that matter? I'd like for you to think about David and Goliath. Why did it matter for David that Goliath was in control of that situation? Remember, he continued to say that Goliath was defying the army of God. He was bringing shame or reproach to the army of God. Listen, God has never been a God who is worth second place. God should be in control. God should be in control of your life. God should be in control of your family. God should be in control of His church and this congregation. God has never had a place in subjection to anyone or anything else. And something was wrong when God's people were allowing God's enemies to control them. And that's really the thrust that comes out of the storyline of the book of Nehemiah, that if people don't understand that, they literally think that the book of Nehemiah is just about this guy that was ambitious about building back a wall. And the truth was he was ambitious about God being exalted among his people. Now, with that being said, think with me for just a moment of this storyline and think about how important it is to have vision. Can you, this morning, see beyond today? When we look at this wall and we say, I wonder when they first saw that wall. Well, you know, it took 52 days to build that wall. Maybe someone says, well, at the completion of that wall is when they first saw that wall built back. That's not true. Nehemiah was a leader that he could see beyond today. When he was still way back in Babylon under the Persian rule, in his mind, he could see the opportunity for that wall to be built back and to be completed. You know, when we think about simple acts of kindness, it's when you see that someone's life can be different. Maybe it's their emotions Maybe it's whether or not they're encouraged or discouraged. Maybe it's something much greater. For example, last Sunday morning in our Bible class time, Mike Runcie spoke to us of agape, and he told us from the Scriptures how important it was that Jesus taught us to receive a child and we receive Him. And then he told us of the need where there are children that are needing a place to live. And you know, there were five families in this congregation that said, we want to learn more about that. You know what those five families were doing? Those five families were not content with saying, here is situation A. There are children in need. Oh, and Bible class is almost over. I hope he hurries up and finishes. Who is it that sees a B? Who is it that sees a present situation and says... Something needs to change. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be altered. Friends, people that see beyond today to a point B to say what needs to be done are people that have a broken heart. Look with me, if you will, the burden again as we go back to 
Nehemiah, the first chapter. Look again, if you will, in verse 3. Nehemiah, the first chapter in verse 3. And notice how important it is for us to feel beyond self. We've already said to see beyond today, but we have to feel beyond self. Uh, look, look again in verse 3. Remember in verse 2, he's asked how the Jews were doing. I guess and I suppose that he thought that they would say, oh man, the temple's built back and people are worshiping God in the most devoted way. And wow, the wall is so strong, the enemies aren't allowed to come in ever again. And instead he doesn't hear that. Instead, in verse 3, notice again, they said to him, to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The idea of reproach there is shame. They are in shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Now notice his reaction. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for many days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah, what are you doing? He says, my heart is breaking. I have a severe burden. I, 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 I just can't accept point A. Something needs to be done about this. Do you realize that in its very simple root, kindness comes from individuals that have compassion. The very word compassion means that you share someone else's pain. Friends, if you're in pain and I can look at you and I decide within myself because of my selfish nature, I don't want to feel your pain. I'm having a good day. I don't want to think about anything negative. I don't want to think about anything uh, that, that hurts. And so I see you in pain and I immediately change the subject. You ever seen people do that to people who are in grief? Someone's grieving and all they can think about is how to change the subject, how not to talk about it. Because after all, if we talk about your pain, that draws me into your pain. Well, who's going to be drawn into pain? Christians are. People that say, you know what? I see A. And right now, A is a painful situation. And whatever I can do to help you get to B, to a better place, to a better point, I'm willing to do that. Notice, Nehemiah did not at this point say, Whoo, I'm glad there are hundreds of miles that separate us. I would hate to be back there in Jerusalem in, in reproach and distress. I'm glad I'm here living in a palace, living like a king. I'm glad I'm here. Would you have shared the pain with Jerusalem? Who is it that does that? Well, notice as we look at the teachings here, we see that it's not only one that feels the burden, but it's also one that says the prayers. Did you notice in what we read there in verse 5? We see that he said, I pray, Lord God of heaven. And then look at the beginning of verse 6 where he says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray Realized that he knew that he was involved in something far greater than what he could ever accomplish. Do you realize that we don't need to be involved in, in everything in our life that's so small we can do it on our own? What are you involved in that you know it can't be done unless God blesses it? That's what drives us to pray the prayer like Jabez prayed when he said, Bless me indeed, O God. Enlarge my territory that your hand will be upon me and that you'll keep me from evil. He knew, he expected his life to be about more than what he could do on his own. Are you raising children? It's really more than what we can do on our own, isn't it? 
Bless me, O oh Lord. Lord, I'm depending upon you. Are you teaching a Bible class? The seriousness of being a Bible class teacher is more than what we can bear on our own. Lord, bless me indeed. Are you leading a ministry? Are you leading a congregation? Are you leading your own life? Can you get your own self to heaven without God? No. Well, we better be going to our knees and realizing how important that we must have prayer. But notice also the third thing under this as we see the confession. Look again at verse 6, and I'd like for you to notice 6 and 7. Notice his humility here. And again, I remind you of the setting. He is hundreds of miles removed from Jerusalem at this point. But notice what he says. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you both my father's house and I have sinned we have acted very corruptly against you and not kept the commandments the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses it would have been so easy for him to point a finger off into the distance and say Shame on them. Some of them have been back for a hundred years almost, and you're telling me they're not finished with that wall? You're telling me they haven't built back the gates yet? Shame on those people. They're apathetic. They're sinful. But instead, in humility, in humility, realizing that he himself is a sinner, he confesses the sins of himself and of his people. I've noticed something, and I ask you if you've ever noticed this. Nobody's perfect. Not on this earth now. Nobody's perfect. And there are those individuals that when they see someone in need, and they see a situation A, they never even think about what B could be, and they never feel the burden because they are camped out in pride looking down their nose to list all of the sins that they've committed to be in situation A. You know what? You're in situation A also. It may be different from someone else's situation A, but the truth is if we're going to get to B, we're all going to need God's blessings, we're all going to need humility, and we're all going to need someone else to help us. True leaders, true compassionate people, True kindness is not when I camp out on all of the reasons why you are still in situation A. Do you realize Nehemiah could stay off in the distance the rest of his life and he could have listed all the reasons why the wall is not built back. But instead, he said, you know what? They're sinners. I'm a sinner. I feel their pain. I want to do something that relieves that pain. I want to do something that helps God's people. You see, when we feel beyond self, as we learn from Nehemiah here, notice this, the burden demands action. He felt it. He felt it to the point that he says something has to be done. The prayer demanded dependency. God will help us through this. The confession demanded humility. None of us are perfect. What can we do in this situation to move from point A to point B? And what he did 
was to do beyond the normal. You know, do you want just a normal family? You content with that? Let's put on a chart here, a hundred families, and the first 50 end in divorce. So only have 50 left, and a lot of those are dysfunctional and not happy. So now let's just come back to the middle. Let's come back to average, all right? Let's back down 25 or 30, and let's come up 25 or 30, and now do you want to be the norm? Are you, you happy with that? You're not one of the strong Christian families. You're just the norm. What kind of co-worker are you? Well, just put out, who are the the worst co-workers? Who are the best co-workers? And then there's just those in the middle. They're made up of some of the worst and kind of tendencies of some of the good, but they're just kind of in the middle. You satisfied with the norm? What about a parent-child relationship? What about a neighbor? Are you satisfied just to be the, the normal neighbor? No, we don't really know our neighbors that much. No, we don't have a lot of involvement with them. My mother gave me a plaque when I was in college. And I've kept this plaque in my room in college and my office ever since. And it simply states this. Excellence can be attained if you care more than others think is wise. Risk more than others think is safe. Dream more than others think is practical. And expect more than others think is possible. You realize that all through the Bible, we see Christianity not being the norm. Christianity is when burdens move people to do things for other people that if somebody doesn't know Christianity, they're scratching their head saying, why did you do that? But yet at the same time, they're thankful because Christians bless the lives of others. Why does that take place? Because we serve a God who is kind, who took care of blessing us before we even knew what to ask or even knew that we needed it. Are we that kind of God? Do you realize that when we say do beyond norm, it's not going to be the usual and the expected, but it does require doing. It does require action. When we read in Nehemiah, the second chapter, we read about a man who went before a king and asked a king permission to leave his position there serving the king and go back to help rebuild the city of his father's. And not only did the king allow that, but the king gave his blessings, gave the written decrees to go into the forest of the king and cut down the large timbers so that he could build back the gates. And not only that, even gave an escort of Calvary to be able to give him protection to arrive there. And not only that, when he did arrive, all of this is behind the scenes. Look in the second chapter of of Nehemiah in the 5th verse, we see that he was asking permission to rebuild. Look in the 13th verse, when he arrives there into Jerusalem, he says, And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates were burned with fire. You see what he's doing? 
He's working behind the scenes. And then when he did arrive in front of the people, before the scenes, it wasn't about, look at me. You realize how many hundreds of miles I've traveled? Do you realize how I was able to get the king's blessings? You ought to be honoring me. But instead, notice how he makes it all about what they could do. Let's read 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the distress we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem and we may no longer be a reproach. You see, that's the whole reason to build the wall. Let's stop being ashamed of God's Uh, as a representation of God's people. And he says in 18, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to do this good work. Behind the scenes, he was doing In front of the people, not only was he doing, but he was urging them to do. Let's get busy. Let's honor God in all that we do. And you know the end of the story. 52 days later, 6th chapter and verse 15 tells us that that wall was finished. I'd like to close this morning with reminding you of a story. The story is found in Luke the 10th chapter. Jesus told this story to answer the question of who is my neighbor. A man was on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was beaten robbed and left half dead, stripped of his clothes. And along came a man named a priest. As he fulfilled this obligation of priest, he's walking by and he saw the man. But he felt no burden. And he did not move the man from point A to a better place. He did nothing. And a Levite also came by. He apparently felt no pain for the man. He moved the man in no way. He did nothing. But along comes along a man that's a Samaritan. And the Samaritan, the Bible tells us that he looked upon him and was moved with compassion. He felt the pain of the man. He could see something better for this man. He could see that the better place was not in the middle of the road, dying. And so he tended to the man's wounds. He loaded him on his own animal. And he transported him to an inn. He cared for him all night long. The next morning... He continues to go the second mile as he pays the innkeeper and tells him to continue to care for him. And if any more is owed later, he'll pay him. And Jesus turns then and asks, which man is neighborly? And of course, the answer is the one who has mercy. And you remember two weeks ago when we studied in the Old Testament, the word mercy and kindness is almost exactly the same thing in the Old Testament. What's the teaching? Friends, if we can't feel the burden of others' pain, we won't ever be motivated to be genuinely kind. Genuine kindness is 
as a result of believing, we can help someone find a better place than what they're presently in. This kind of genuine kindness moved Jesus from heaven to earth and from earth to suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. This kind of genuine kindness is what purchased our salvation. Have you offered that same kindness in return to God to tell Him how much you love Him and that you'll give your life in service to Him? If not, why not this morning as a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? If you have been baptized into Christ and you're not on that road of kindness, you're not on that road of fulfilling the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, why not move yourself this morning so that you can move others to a better life? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.